Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we tell you the story of two Winnipeggers who biked up part of Mount Everest. They raised almost $12,000 for the Main Street Project in the process. Truly remarkable human story. Also, we take a look at the newest inductees into the Canada West Hall of Fame. Winnipeg Westman women's volleyball teams of the 80s have won six straight national titles. A key part of that run, Jamie Jones joins us. And then Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post talks about the Riders winning the West, the Heritage Classic, and he's got a new book as well. That's all on the podcast. All right, so Winnipegers Carrie LeBlanc and Dr. Richard Rusk have returned from their epic journey to Everest, consisting of more than 1,100 kilometers with 10,000 vertical feet of climbing over five mountain passes, over 5,200 meters in altitude, and they managed to raise money for the Main Street Project in the process. And joining me now on the show are Dr. Rusk and Carrie. Good evening to both of you. Namaste. Evening. Evening. I'll start with you, Carrie. Uh, first of all, why why do this? Why do that? Yeah, that, that was a good question. And I was asking Dr. Rusk that question when he asked me to join him. And the answer was because it was the hardest thing he had ever done in his life. And at that point, I was immediately hooked. So if it was a challenge for a doctor who's a triathlete and a, and a general great athlete himself, I thought, I got to try this. So so off we went. So, Dr. Rusk, you've, uh, I guess, you have you done anything like this before? Well, well yeah. So what had happened in 2016, um, I had uh, gone out and uh, we had tried to do it but what had happened the year before the there had been that big devastating earthquake in nepal and and parts of tibet and so we weren't able to complete it and um so i previously i'd managed to get to base camp but there was still one more pass that was higher and so uh and it's like right at the end of the trip and so I wasn't even sure if I would have been able to do it. So knowing that I had Kerry um, with me and we could train together and he's an excellent athlete, so he was going to push me, I was going to push him. And so knowing that we had this, this Winnipeg team, even though we're from the flatlands, uh, we could potentially uh, complete it. And, and, and we did, but uh, we paid. <laughs> I imagine so. And Carrie, how long did this whole process, the journey, take? Well, we started in, uh, I guess, in conversation in uh, May of 2018. And then in January 1st of 2019, we started training in earnest. Uh, so it, wow. all in, it was a 10-month journey. It took nine months of training um, every day and a month of, of execution. So 10 months all in of our lives to, to, to accomplish this task. And I think generally speaking, the, the biggest uh, driver was the fear of the unknown of what altitude was going to do to us during that effort. And so the best way to do that was to get in the best possible shape as we possibly could. And I think we accomplished that. So. And and for myself, I knew that um, just how hard it was. So I thought, oh well, we just we 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 put in our hours, we train really hard, and it'll be easier. But 
Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that. It was just hard. <laughs> when you can't breathe, <laughs> you have a hard time. Simple as that. So, Dr. Rusk, the, the, to someone who is not initiated to altitude, what kind of impact does that have on your body? Well, so the the actual physiological impact is if you don't have oxygen, you just can't put that power out. And um, so uh, we we would end up ultimately trying to climb these mountains and would just get slower and slower and slower as we got higher. Um, and and then uh, the the actual health impact is you're accumulating additional fluid in your lungs and potentially potentially uh, getting some swelling in your brain. And so that's called altitude sickness. And so we had to really guard against that. Um, and I know I definitely, I suffered from that pretty much daily once we were um, above 4,000 meters on a consistent basis. Um, Kerry, I, I don't think you suffered quite as much, but from from what I can recall. <laughs> you know, I mean, we could talk all day these stories. I mean, I just remember day two when it was pouring rain in our tent in the tent and I'm having those symptoms of nausea and diarrhea and dizziness and then the tent is dropping rain on my forehead mm. you know on a go on a, other than that particular day I, I thought I did pretty good with that with that problem but that day will never be forgotten <laughs> so Carrie was it good knowing you had a doctor with you Oh, well, that was uh, definitely the, and not only just for me, but our whole team, you know, there was other people in our team that really benefited from, from uh, Dr. Russ uh, being there. I mean, we had a, a couple of observers who, one of the, was an English lady who just was just in the worst shape at times. And we were, when we were on Everest, 5,237 meters in altitude would have been the, was the worst time for her. You could just hear the water in her lungs two tenths over, continuously coughing and coughing and coughing all night. So this is day eight, and she had not slept well. The uh, water is building up in her lungs. At one point, we're climbing up, and there was an ambulance coming down the other way, and we thought for sure it was her. But fortunately, that wasn't the case. It was some other person, but... Uh, yeah, so to have uh, Richard there, not only as a as a friend and uh, from a medical side of things, was was very relieving to me. So, so. and Dr. Rusk, what kind of I, I guess was there beauty as part of this too? Because obviously there's a big toll on your body, but at the same time, you're yeah. going up one of the great wonders of this world. Totally, totally. I mean um, uh, that that. The, the bike, the, the ride, uh, and, and it actually, on that day, it was not far. It was only about 35 kilometers that we had to, had to uh, bike, constantly climbing, but not too, not too bad, up to Everest. And you start out in, we started out in the rain, in the clouds, and as we got closer and got a little higher, we kind of ended up getting above the clouds. And suddenly there's just huge, huge mountain opens up, and you're just like, now wonder this is called the goddess, um, uh, the goddess mountain, I, because people people come here from all over the world just to 
in some ways to to pay um, homage uh, to to such a spectacular site. Yeah, um, and then I mean just the beauty of um, going through these valleys that are uh, like so here in in Manitoba we we really have this incredible um, big sky experience and a lot of people don't experience that and this was exactly opposite in that it was big valley experiences and just just incredible yeah Carrie tell me more about uh, the raising money for Main Street Project part of this you had a goal of ten grand you raised almost twelve thousand dollars you know so. Richard and I have always been trying to find ways to give back to our community, you know, and through this, tr- this experience in Everest, we, I at least realized how blessed we are as Canadians, how blessed we are as Manitobans and Winnipeggers. So, you know, we do a project on Christmas called Cycling with Santa, where we, we dress up in, in Santa suits and reindeer outfits and ride bicycles around. Uh, our city to our shelters and to the, just general people on the street and bring out love and joy during that period. And so it starts there. And then we just thought, again, we're so blessed to be going on this adventure. And, you know, we were given some sponsorship and we just couldn't be complete takers because we are givers. We wanted to find an, an avenue where we could give back to the community in some way. And so we set this goal working with Main Street Project, who are a wonderful organization and helps uh, hundreds of people uh, daily and weekly. We, we, we landed on that cause and that organization to, to try to help. And so we just set this crazy goal. Let's, uh, let's find $10,000. And out of the blue, we picked that number. And so through the, you know, the great friends and family and people that were, were kind enough to, to just randomly to contribute to her to her dream, we were able to raise that $12,000 mark. And, you know, we're so happy and so proud that, you know, to have done what we've done and so happy and proud that people were able to, to come on the journey with us. You know, and, and our next venture is to try to do that in a, in a pictorial or some kind of uh, uh, addition to the story and keep the story alive. So we appreciate you, you putting on us on air to, to keep the story alive. Well, I think it's incredible what you guys have done. And Dr. Rusk, I'll, I'll finish off with this. Now that you've accomplished this, is there anything left? What's your next daunting goal to accomplish? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I truly am at a little bit of a loss at the moment. I, um, I, I think um, there's there's a lot of things that um we can we can try and everyone needs goals in their lives but when you've achieved something like this it's like oh man how, how am i going to top that and maybe it's not a matter of topping or maybe it's a matter of finding ways of actually topping the the main street project um uh like project that we had um rather focus on things like that um so yeah but yeah, stay tuned. You're hopefully within the next month or so, I'll think of something. <laughs> well, I appreciate you both coming on. This has been a, a fantastic story. And uh, Dr. Richard Rusk and Carrie LeBlanc, amazing, amazing accomplishment. Thanks again for your time. Well, thanks, thanks for your time. One of the most dominant stretches in Canadian university history was acknowledged today as the 1982 through 88 Winnipeg Westman women's volleyball teams were inducted into the Canada West Hall of Fame in the team category. They won six straight national titles. 
six straight. Powered by outstanding individual performances from a host of players that would go on to play for the national team here in Canada. A player was named player of the year every season during that six-year run. They enjoyed several stretches of being basically completely unbeatable. January 87 to January 89, they did not lose. They did not lose once. 123 straight wins. It's almost incomprehensible. That included a perfect 58-0 record during the 87-88 season. They beat teams from around the globe, including the Canadian national team and the eventual NCAA champion, Texas Longhorns. Insane. One of the key pieces to the launching of that dynasty was Jamie Jones, National Player of the Year in 1983 and 84, and joins us now on the Sports Show. Jamie, congratulations on the honor. Take me back to that time. How special a time was this in your life? Well, yeah, it was uh, very important because we had uh, we had we were pretty success, successful at the Canada Games in '79, and then I traveled to U of M, and then I went to UW, and it started the uh, the gold medals flying in. So it was very exciting. So what years were you there? I was there from '82 to '85. So basically, all you knew was success then. Well, pretty much, yeah. Well, you hang out with the, the right type of people, especially Mike Burchuk. You're always going to have success. That's uh, one of the things that he lives and dies for. Now, when you went to the U of W, did you expect this kind of run coming? Well, we knew that uh, we were going to be successful because we worked very hard. So um, it was just expected. You know, you work hard and you expect to win. We weren't we weren't favored because we were a, a short team the first year. But um, we worked really hard, and that was it. When you have players on your team like Wanda Gannett, Dan Callender, and Ruth Burchuk, you know that you're you're going to be successful. So you, the school wins after you leave two, wins six straight national titles. So when you've graduated, do you still stay part of that team? Are you still keeping track of their success? Um, uh, a little bit, but not really, because uh, I was on the first three championship teams and then the uh, three years after that they won um, I was still friends with some of the girls so that was you know was the the good part about it and I mean I'm still friends with a lot of the girls right now but um, it, it was just uh, it was automatic that you were going to be a champion if you you played for the Westman I guess when you're in the middle of that run do you ever think you're going to lose well you know the chances are you're always uh Someone's always trying to get you, right? You're you're the the kingpin. So uh, there's a lot of underdogs always trying to beat us, and and there are ga- close games, but we always seem to come out in the end. It was uh, a lot of fun. What was it like playing with that? I'm assuming giant target on your back. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we walked the walk, and I think that's what you did. Well, we were never we never talked the talk. We just showed on the court, and and there was a lot of people that wanted to to defeat us but we were just uh, I'm not sure what the magic was but we just had it now you were named player of the year twice is that correct yep that's right how did that feel to be the best player in Canada at your sport yeah that, it was it was nice but I mean you you as an individual on in a team sport that's uh you can't you can't do that without your teammates so um I I enjoyed that quite a bit, but that wasn't the big thing. The gold medals were the were the big thing. How often do you look back and think about that experience? Oh man, I think about it all the time because I right now I'm refing volleyball, so I see the kids coming up and uh, watching them improve from season to season is is really enjoyable for me. 
and I'm still in contact with a lot of the girls that I played with and you know that's one of the most important things about team sports is the friend friendship shit that you make along the way did most of the team come from Winnipeg well uh the first year we had a uh outside players like uh Val Newman was from Morris uh Wendy Pearson was from Minnedosa um Bernice Bowley was from Russell Manitoba I think uh Louise Lejoie was from St. Anne's you know uh Carrie Peterson was from Selkirk and the rest of us for uh, Nan Calendar was from Selkirk so there's only about three of us from Winnipeg so yeah they came from all over but from it was the Manitoba team though oh yeah Manitoba all from Manitoba yeah did you have a big rivalry with the Bisons or did you just crush them oh yeah we had a rivalry um I had started out with the Bisons my first two years at university, and a, a lot of the Bisons played for the Canada Games team that we played for, so we played against them. So it was a rivalry, but uh, we we were a little bit better than they were in those days. Well, I mean, you won six straight, so yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. What happened for you volleyball-wise after you graduated? Did you stick with the sport? No, I played a little bit of senior, but I I became a teacher at Grand Park High School, so that was exciting. I started coaching, right? So uh, once you my my uh, body couldn't take much more playing, and as as you say, you go out to play and you try to beat the young kids, and you just can't do that anymore. <laughs> so I stuck to coaching, and that was pretty much it. And do you find that rewarding? I did find that rewarding, yes, and uh, and I coached for probably twenty five years out of my 30 years of teaching and that was that was fun too i still have a lot of friends that were my students and my ex-players from ground park high school that i still stay in contact to so volleyball is a big part of my life when did you first start playing volleyball oh i didn't start actually i didn't start taking volleyball seriously till i was in uh grade 12 with mike burchuk for the canada games because i was more of a basketball player so so it was uh sort of my second sport but I, I sure reaped a lot of benefits from playing volleyball and and being around those those people that I that I met. I guess so. How tall are you? I'm only five seven. So in those days, volleyball was different. We had to jump. I mean, our first the first year we won, I think Wanda was our biggest player, and what a player she was. But she was only five nine. So we we had to jump in those days. It's not like it is today. If you were to be you know born at a different time, if you were coming up today, how do you think you'd fit into the volleyball landscape? Well, I think I, I'd still fit in because um, I would I would be able to I I don't know I still had I had the athletic ability to jump right so I played middle block blocker in the front row and I was playing against girls that were six one six two so it wasn't it wasn't that we needed to be tall it's just that it was just different physical abilities I think in those days we were all multi sport athletes and I think that's the difference with t- kids today they're pretty much one sport athletes so. The athletic ability is a little bit different. Not saying good or bad about it, but you know, in those days we had a lot, a lot different um, hand-eye coordination and different skills that we could put to use, despite our height. I think. So you're saying there are good and bad parts of specialization, then? Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I'm just, there's a lot of discussion nowadays about going back to multi-sport athletes, but you know, who knows? They probably won't go back there in, in my lifetime anyway. Do you ever have like reunions and meet up with the crew that won all these titles? We do. We have. Uh, we just had our fortieth uh, Canada Games reunion, actually, which which a lot of them played university on different teams, U of M and U W, and yeah, we get together every once in a while and share some memories. 
And is there any kind of celebration planned for this Hall of Fame? Well, there is supposed to be on uh, Saturday at the University of Winnipeg uh, game. They're supposed to announce it, and we're supposed to have a few few moments, share a few moments together, maybe have a cocktail or two, and I'm really looking forward to that and seeing everybody that shows up. Well, Jamie, I appreciate your time tonight, and uh, congratulations again on this honour. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. We will have a lot of Bomber content over the next three days. They're back at practice tomorrow. They haven't had a media availability, so that's why we haven't heard a lot from them, but we're going to hear a ton over the next few days. So I thought tonight, let's talk to a man in a city where they're not playing CFL football this season, this week, I should say, and that is Regina. And Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post. How does it feel to have a bye week this week, Rob? Yeah, it's it's strange. I'm not accustomed to this, having followed the Rough Riders since the early 1970s. This is uh, this will be the only the third time that I'll have seen the Rough Riders in a Western Final at home, and I'm 55 years old. <laughs> I know. I saw your tweet about that. Your tweet about that a couple uh, weeks ago, and I had to do the research, and I I looked back. So there's this year, 2009, 1976, 70, 69, 68, 66, and 51 since they became the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's insane. It really is, especially when you look at it's such a small league, such a small division. You you would think on average once out of every four or five years it would happen, but it just... uh, it just hasn't. It uh, it really is a an unusual thing, and it's uh, I'm not sure. It, it it just there was so much hype about the game on Saturday. They they clinched first place by beating the Edmonton Eskimos, and then all of a sudden it's like there's just all this nothingness. What are what are people? People are not used to there being a football season in November when there's nothing going on. That uh, that's a, that takes a bit of an adjustment for everybody around here. Nothing going on, but the season isn't over yet. And uh, who knows? I can't imagine what it'll be like. They they haven't. It'll be the biggest game in the history of the of the new Mosaic oh, yeah. Stadium on November seventeenth. And and one of the interesting subplots, if it comes to that, could be Zach Calero's quarterbacking here against his former team. He was a starting quarterback for the Riders on opening night. Who could imagine how <laughs> things have turned or may turn? That's true. Uh, just before we get to this year's team, I just want to look back at the. We talked about the number of times they've won the West regular season title is so low it's not a sign of good things to come though when they win the west is it no it generally has not been uh, they won the gray cup in 1966 their first gray cup and they won the west that year but they were only nine six and one and ottawa was 11 and three that year ottawa was the powerhouse that in the league or supposedly so and was heavily favored to beat the riders by a at least a touchdown, and that that didn't happen. The uh, Saskatchewan Riders won twenty nine fourteen. But if you look beyond that, the and and not just losing Grey Cups or not getting there, but there's been absolute heartbreak. They finished first in twenty nineteen, or pardon me, two thousand and nine. That was the thirteenth mm-hmm. man year. They finished first in the se- in nineteen seventy six. Tony Gabriel catches the game winning touchdown pass for Ottawa with with twenty four sec- with twenty seconds left in the game. Uh, they finished first in 1970. Didn't even get to the Grey Cup. Uh, they were 14 and two, and a seven six and one Montreal team won the Grey Cup. It's just it's just amazing how many awful things have happened to this franchise after some rare things have happened during the regular season. So, with that being said, is there an overall still feeling of optimism? With you know, you got to win one game. It's at home, and you're in the Grey Cup. Yeah, I mean, the, the percentages are still good, and 
considering the circumstances with the Rough Riders right now, I, I think they're very thankful for the for the buy. Their starting quarterback Cody Fajardo has an has an oblique injury of some nature, and that forced him to miss uh, sit out the regular season finale against Edmonton. You know, I'm not sure if they were playing this upcoming weekend, whether he would be ready to go. We still don't know how serious that injury is, but it's got to be pretty big to keep a competitor like Cody Fajardo in the sidelines for even a game. So this, the 15 days between games could not have happened at a better time for the Rough Riders, considering the, the state of their marquee player. Can you believe that this Riders team won the West division title, especially where we were after four games? Of all the years, I, this one just did not seem fathomable. They were one and three after four games. They lost their, lost Zach Kalaros, the starting quarterback, three plays into the season with a concussion. They had to start a, a raw rookie in a game they needed to win to clinch first place. You go back even further, back in January, Chris Jones signed the contract extension as the Riders, head coach, GM, defensive coordinator, everything else. And then a week later, he's gone. So suddenly, you'd, that could be catastrophic for a franchise, especially that far into the off season. It's a it's a pretty small pool of candidates that are just the out that are available. So they hired Jeremy O'Day as a general manager, an in-house candidate. They hired Craig Dickinson as the head coach, an in-house candidate. And I think some people wondered, myself included, whether those were hires of convenience or whether they were ty- entirely based on merit. We now know how much merit there was behind, behind those hirings. Now. Do you care if you're the Rough Riders who you play in the West Final? They say not. Um, Craig Dickinson cares. He'd like to. He'd like his brother Dave to do well with Calgary. But if I'm the Rough Riders and I'm looking at Calgary and I'm thinking, you haven't beaten Calgary yet. As much as the Riders have had successes this year, as evidenced by their record, the one unchecked box to date is can't beat Calgary Stampeders. And over the two games that. Those teams played one another. Calgary threw nine incompletions over that span. They really had a tough time stopping the Calgary offense. And so I wonder if they're hoping that they can, you know, deep down they'll never say, but I'm wondering if they could, they're hoping they can just evade Calgary completely and, and play Winnipeg. Not that Winnipeg is a pushover, but uh, they've beaten Winnipeg this year. They've had no luck against Calgary. I'm of the mind that any three of these, any one of these three teams could definitely represent the West in the Great Cup. I think they're all pretty even. Uh, do you think home field could be the ultimate decider of who gets there? It couldn't hurt. I mean, if it comes here and, and, and there's a sellout crowd that's creating a lot of noise, maybe that, that I think the balance is so delicate that it might, something like that could very well tip it. I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think there's a lot to choose between one and three here. Uh, this is a Winnipeg team, the nucleus of which was still riding high at one point in the season. And if Zach Kalaros can give that team some life, who knows where it could go. Uh, Andrew Harris is is such a force. And that defense is laden with strong personnel. So I, I would be wary of writing off Winnipeg. And, you know, seeing what the Bombers did against Calgary late in the regular season shows that Winnipeg can can is and can still be a formidable team. Now, another big thing that happened, I haven't actually talked to anybody that was in Regina other than uh, we heard from Leah Hextall after the Heritage Classic, but overall, how did that go in Regina? Was it a good experience for that city? Oh, it was wonderful. The Jets won. What more do you want? <laughs> well. I, was, I, was, I was trying not to completely go ballistic in the, in the press box during overtime, but it was amazing. It was just a, it was a happening to see a National Hockey League game 
in Regina. I, regardless of what happened on the ice, I think the f- mere fact that this game was here was was something. There were so many people standing during intermissions or whatever with their back to the ice taking selfies just to be have an NHL arena or an NHL rink in the back in the background and to have thirty three thousand people there. I was just in a fog the whole night. I was marveling at it. I couldn't believe it. I kept telling myself, this is really happening. There's a National Hockey League game in Regina. Usually I have to get in the car and drive five and a half hours to Winnipeg to see the Jets play. Uh, it took me seven minutes to get there for that one. That, I won't get over that anytime soon. Now, you were also in a warm press box, right? I was and, uh, and uh, was kind of hating it. I, I there were there were sort of imperatives that day because the Riders also played Edmonton earlier in the day, so I was trying to write a call about a football game while a hockey game was in progress. And but part of me wishes I just worn 58 layers and sat in the stands and had a chance just to go nuts cheering for the Jets. I've loved that team since February of 1980, and uh, uh, it wasn't practical to do it, but I wish I. would I wish I'd had that opportunity just to revel in it completely. Well, how much did that change the experience? Because the day before it was so warm in Regina and then it, you know, it becomes perfect outdoor hockey weather. You know, it's minus 10 or so with the wind chill, snow is falling and it creates this perfect atmosphere. It was so weird. I mean, it was 17 the day before and uh, all of a sudden it, it turns and it, it actually worked out nicely. The fact that there was some snow, there it just look it looked like it should look for a hockey game. Paul Paul Maurice drew the you know, the analogy saying all it was missing was Santa Claus flying over, and it was so true. It was it was really a a postcard, and uh, the it, I'm generally not a real fan of seeing snow as much as I've put up with it over the years, but I think that day it just it just seemed right. But boy, it was chilly. But overall, it was a complete home run for the city and the league in Regina. It really was. I, I haven't heard anybody complain about anything. And you usually you usually hear one or two things from people about things that didn't go well. But just from the top down, everybody enjoyed it from the pregame festivities to the game itself to the flyby to the game, in-game entertainment, you name it. And I, I wondered at first if people were going to balk at the prices, but then they announced the prices in the spring. And people said, okay, that's fair. Nobody I, – there wasn't – I didn't hear one thing – from the time it was announced till the till the uh, brick was dismantled, that was critical. I just and I couldn't spot anything that I didn't like either. It just, just was. It was a magical day. It's hard to believe it happened. Now I understand you have a new book coming out. I do. Um, it's a hundred things every Rough Riders fan should know and do before they die. I realize it's not a target audience I'm speaking to here. But, uh, <laughs> There is a version of this book done about the Winnipeg Jets. The publisher Triumph Books out of Chicago has done them for numerous teams across the sporting spectrum, and they wanted to uh, take a stab at doing the CFL. So I wrote a book about a hundred, kind of hundred cool things about the Rough Riders. So if there's a few Rider fans in in Winnipeg, uh, feel free to take a look for it. I heard from somebody in Vancouver the other day who bought it. So maybe there's there's somebody out there waving a green flag. Someone's got a hat on. They've got their sunglasses on. They want to hide their identity. They sneak into the bookstore and they say, hey, I, this is actually just for a friend. Yeah, and then put put uh, 14 books above it so that nobody notices it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended if somebody did that. And even if you're a Bombers fan and you get a bomber, fellow Bomber fan that says a gag gift, it doesn't matter to you, right? It doesn't matter at all. I, 
I, uh, I, I'm not too, uh, I'm not too selective in situations like this. But if you're a fan of the CFL, I get some cool CFL stories in there. So uh, I just thought I would uh, take advantage of the opportunity to tout it, and I do appreciate uh, you granting me that. Well, I appreciate you coming on as always. Finally, Rob, uh, just before you go, how often have you heard or listened to Experience Regina? Uh. More often than I would have liked, it just seems to. It seems that people will play it and and mock it, and it really doesn't. It, it's tough on the tough on the eardrums, and it makes the fillings vibrate a little too. As someone who's not from Regina, I've always loved it, but I can understand why someone in Regina might get a little sick of it. Oh, it's just uh, it, it's gotten some some mileage, and people have you know it's got some notoriety even. But uh, uh, man, that's that's just as tuneless as it gets. <laughs> That's why it's fun. Rob, I appreciate your time as always. Enjoy your bye week. I will. Thanks so much, Christian. Great to chat with you again. Go Jets. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?